we are glad that you are here. I want to uh, just lead us off with a word of prayer, though, as we begin our study time. Lord Jesus, we thank you that here this morning in these moments we're able to gather together uh, across different homes and uh, places throughout this valley and even in other places around the nation maybe. And to be able to pray to you, Jesus, because you are alive, you are in our midst, you are with us during this time of change in our world. And we just pray here today that you would speak to us directly by your Spirit, that we would find ourselves uh, draw near to you in a strange way, and that we would be encouraged in the midst of the hour. Lord, you have a work, a faithful work that you're doing, as we've looked at in the last couple of weeks, that you are bringing an awakening to the hearts and the lives of people. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would awaken and quicken our spirit for your glory, because you have plans and purposes. Amen. Well, indeed, thanks for uh, being a part of Holy Week, Passion Week, and uh, we do have uh, our opportunity to focus in God's Word this morning on Palm Sunday. In eight short days, though, from Palm Sunday through to Good Friday to Easter, literally the world was changed. We think a lot's changing in our world and maybe forever changed because of the COVID-19 pandemic that's going on. But nothing will ever compare to what happened in those eight days from Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter, Sunday morning, because Jesus Christ made a way for not only our salvation, but made a way for us to be involved with him through all of eternity. I don't know about you, but Palm Sunday has always been one of those big celebratory times. Uh, Now that I live in Southern California and I have palm trees in my backyard, I'm able to think more uh, particularly of what those palm branches might have meant on that day. And we're going to be looking at that passage. But we need to lift our spirits this morning and we need to declare the glory of the Lord. We need to look at the scripture and find truth and let the Spirit of God speak to us and bring not only encouragement, but bring initiative for us to be about the kingdom's work in this day and age. Something seems to have maybe made a turn this week and that more uh, concern has been made about people who have contracted the virus, those who uh, have uh, passed away, even in our own county of Riverside here. More word has gone out that uh, more strategic measures need to be made for us to be able to uh, uh, control the spread more than just social distancing, but other measures that would so somehow try to lower the amount of impact that it will have. And there seems to be just a growing sense of, I don't know, how do you describe it? Some of you have been out and around. There's just a, a more somber spirit. And the heads are down a little bit. We're more conscious of people around us, what's going on, or uh, how safe am I? And I sense that there's some discouragement in all of it. And that's natural from a human place. But as we stand here on Palm Sunday, we should not be discouraged discouraged in the transcendent sense of what Jesus wants to do in our hearts. So I pray that as we look at God's word today, that you would move from discouragement to hope, that you would move from despondency to anticipation that you would be able to set aside maybe some of the broader concerns. I know kids are headed back to school on uh, distance learning uh, tomorrow. I know mine will be and some other kinds of things going on there. But we need to have our hearts filled by God himself through the presence of Jesus Christ's spirit. 
because he is alive and as active today as he was 2,000 years ago when he entered into Jerusalem. So I want to encourage you with that, and we're going to take a look at God's Word related to uh, one of the passages where it talks about Palm Sunday. It talks about the triumphal entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, he had a plan and a purpose. If you'll open with me to your scriptures in Matthew. Matthew chapter 21 is recorded um, the events of that day. There's a couple things uh, to note here. The first, though, is that this Palm Sunday story is recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That tells you something because it tells you the importance of it. And the importance of it is because it was going to change the trajectory, change the dynamic, change the mission, and ultimately change the world through what Jesus Christ was about to do. It's recorded in all four scriptures, and it's also highlighted in um, the hearts and the lives of the people that were there as they were anticipating what was going on. You see, Jesus had arrived in a town called Bethany before he went into Jerusalem. He'd actually showed up in Bethany a couple uh, days prior for a funeral, except it wasn't a funeral. He had gone to the house of Mary and Martha because their brother Lazarus had died. But when Jesus arrived, he proceeded to raise Lazarus from the dead. There was a hundred people that saw and witnessed this event. And thousands more were probably told about it. And there was a buzz going on. There was celebration going on. This one they thought had been so prominent and had passed away had come back to life through this uh, uh, Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so there was this buzz going on, but something sort of changed the morning after because they could tell that Jesus uh, was not going to be staying and he was going to be moving on. He was going to be moving on because he had a mission and they could sense something about him and he was determined, he was steadfast that he was going to be going into Jerusalem. And so they were all gathered around. It was a typical morning as any other morning in, in one sense. Mothers were getting their kids uh, ready for things and they were providing meals and stuff like that and going about work. But something was changing and happening in this town of Bethany. And these are the words then that come to us from the record that Matthew gives in Matthew 21. And it says this. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a, co a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Let me pause there for a second. Matthew records this command of Jesus. You need to know not only uh, were all four Gospels pointing out the importance of this, 
but that Jesus was in full control of what was happening. Now, a lot of times in scriptures, we find that Jesus is reacting to situations, whether it's somebody that needs to be healed or a teaching that needs to be given. Maybe it's a response to some critics and adversaries. But Jesus made the choice when he was in Bethany at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' home to take this initiative, and he instructed his disciples to go to the village sort of ahead around the corners, just a few houses probably, and find this uh, donkey and its colt and to bring it back. He took the initiative. He made the choice to move forward. And so he's in control of all that's happening from this day forward through to the resurrection morning. And we need to understand that because as critical and as dramatic as Passion Week is, Sometimes we fear that, oh, this all happened to Jesus and things were out of control. Just sort of like we feel like things are out of control in our world today. But Jesus was in control then and Jesus is in control today. And so he sent his disciples to find this uh, donkey and the colt and brought them back to him. Now it says in the Matthew record that this was done to fulfill a prophecy that was spoken actually in Zephaniah 575 years before this day that said that the Messiah would be riding on a donkey. And there is a lot to unpack that we can see prophetically in what Jesus is doing with this. But it's interesting that he takes this initiative. It goes on to say this then in verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. Have you ever wondered why Jesus chose a donkey? In fact, it wasn't a donkey. It was actually the colt. This colt had never been ridden on, and Jesus rode on the colt. And so they uh, didn't have this elaborate war horse for him to saddle up with to head in, to become the king, he came in humility. And so they laid upon the colt their cloak. And he sat, and the picture describes it here, most likely sideways. And he was then taken into Jerusalem. And there are people that came out from Jerusalem that met him, as well as those that were probably following him from the Bethany area. And there were people that were waiting inside. The buzz had been going around this, this uh, would-be Messiah who had raised Lazarus from the dead. Could this be the one? And here he is. He positions himself on this young colt. Now, what I find interesting is this. Can you picture that happening with all the other politics happening in Jerusalem? You got the Romans. You got Pilate and Herod that are sort of in control of that environment. You have the Pharisees, the Sadducees. You have the Zealots uh, who were always against the Romans and wanted to overtake them. There's a lot of politics and things going on. There's hundreds and hundreds of years of historical uh, prophecy that there would be a Messiah who would come to set the Jewish people free. And here's Jesus, who people had placed their hopes in, riding humbly on a donkey. What would you think when he came riding into town? A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road ahead of him. 
while others cut branches. And in one of the other Gospels, it says that they are palm branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him and those that followed and they began to shout. Now it's interesting with the palm branches, I don't have time to go into it a lot, but the palm branches actually uh, meant something during that particular season of Jewish history. And it had to do with celebration and hope. And so it would have been uh, only appropriate for those kinds of branches to be waved and then thrown down. They were sort of like putting out the red carpet for their king. Now, can you picture the Romans standing by watching this? This is their king? He's riding in here on a colt? On a cloak? Look at these silly Jewish people thinking that he's going to overthrow things. One of the reasons Jesus went on a donkey, on a colt, into Jerusalem is because it was not threatening. The Romans were not bothered by this would-be Messiah. He was not on a war horse with an army coming to siege the city. So let's go and let them have their own little little, uh, make-believe almost that uh, they have a king that's coming in. So many different dynamics that are going on. But Jesus, in total control, knowing in all of history what this week would be, what these eight days would entail. And he was in control. He took the initiative, and he stepped into Passion Week by riding on a colt. They shouted as he came, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. The Hosanna was a declaration and we just, we just had some songs and we still sing today about it declaring Hosanna is the son of David. Hosanna declaring um, that he was a savior that was to come to them, a messiah. The second phrase there, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, actually comes from a messianic psalm, Psalm 118. Everyone would have known of that psalm that was Jewish. And so when they declared that, they were declaring that he was going to be their king. Make no mistake about this. They understood what they were doing, the Jewish people did. They were declaring and positioning Jesus as the Messiah. And interesting with Jesus, who many times before in his earthly ministry was sort of hush-hush, don't let people know who I am or don't tell anybody this or that. He fully received the declaration of his messiahship, his kingship, with all those around, with the branches and with what was being laid before him and the shouts that were declaring him as the one who is blessed and came in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest in heavens. What an incredible event. It was like a ticker tape parade, you know, when, when the armies come back and, or maybe a celebration when somebody wins a championship game and the team comes back to the home city. You know, there was confetti flying and other kinds of stuff. This was a, a hoop and hollering event. Jesus is now here to fulfill the long-held prophecies of old. Things are changing. The Romans are going to be uh, uh, altered and established. We are going to have our homeland back. And we are now going to have one true king who we can follow. Everybody was sort of dialed into this. And they were horse-powered up with this hope of the one who wasn't coming in on a horse. But he was coming in 
as a meek and lowly leader on the back of a colt who had never been ridden. And so can you hear all the shouts and the declarations going on? When Jesus entered Jerusalem in verse 10, the whole city was stirred and they asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. I hope somehow through just the reading of this one particular record, you can get outside the events of our current world. And maybe you here this morning can gaze on Jesus entering afresh into our world events, but entering afresh into your life here this morning. This declaration of Hosanna, the declaration of Hosanna specifically means save us now. (laughs) Hosanna, Jesus, in 2020, save us now. Oh, he can't really save us now, Pastor Kerry. I mean, that's a great story 2,000 years ago. And it's good that we remember it and commemorate it on Palm Sunday. And yeah, we'll look forward to Easter. We're not even sure how we can worship on Easter. Church has been designated as one of the non-essentials, I guess, in our culture. Isn't that sort of sad? I would say it's pretty essential. Essential more than some of the other things I'm seeing that are essential. I understand the precautions and all that's going on and why I'm speaking to an empty room again here this morning via a virtual means to talk to you in your living room or in your uh, bedroom or outside, wherever you may be seated. But friends, it's essential that we let the world know, Hosanna, Jesus, save us now because he is in control still and he wants to bring about change in our hearts and change in our families, change amongst our friends, and change in our world. We have the same declaration and the same need to declare, Hosanna, save us now, because Jesus is not a caricature or a legend from 2,000 years ago. Jesus is active today. And I want you to gaze upon Jesus as he enters Jerusalem. I want you to walk through this Passion Week I want you to read your scriptures and the different accounts. Take time to do so. He was back and forth in different ways. You know, actually, when he came into Jerusalem, or it said that after he was in Jerusalem, he went to the temple, and it was so late, no one was there. So he actually went back outside and stayed in Bethany and came back in the next day. But when he looked in upon Jerusalem as he was coming there, tears began to come down from his eyes. And he was concerned because he saw the brokenness of the city. He saw the need that was there. It records this in Luke. Chapter 19, the version there. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known this day, That would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. 
They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Why would Jesus be crying on his entrance into Jerusalem? Because when you come through the Mount of Olives, if you've been to Israel and Jerusalem, you see the whole city and the eastern gate. And he knew what was going to happen. He knew what was going to happen to him that week, that he would be rejected, that he would be crucified. He knew that people would turn from him. He knew what would happen ultimately to Jerusalem. And when its downfall came in 70 A.D., he saw all this in light, and he knew that he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him, Scriptures teaches us. And he wept. May that not be the case for you today. When you see Jesus, when you contemplate this week, when you try to gaze upon him who is ever present and real, you need a Savior. You need to declare Hosanna. We all do. Save us now. But may we believe in him and receive him and follow him because we need him as the king of our life. You see, Jesus knew that when he came to that Good Friday that there would be all kinds of uh, people that would turn. Maybe many of those who were declaring the Hosannas earlier in the week, they would make that turn. And they wouldn't be declaring Hosanna they would be shouting out to Pilate, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus knew all that was happening in that. I'm going to ask you to share Good Friday together as a family. We're going to have a pre-recorded worship and, and a service sharing time that any time on Good Friday, it'll be uploaded in the morning. You can sit down with your family at a time that you deem appropriate and you have the margin and space. I want you not only to listen to that brief worship and devotional time, but then I'm going to exhort you to do what Jesus did the night before he was crucified. And that was his, he had the last supper. He took communion with his disciples. And maybe this seems awkward to you in your home. I don't know if you can find some type of juice or maybe some other kind of drink or even just do water and, and get a piece of bread or a cracker and, and sit down and reflect on the scripture that we'll be sharing about in that worship and devotional video for you to use on Good Friday. And then pray and partake of communion together, remembering the Lord's death until he comes again. For you see, Passion Week is not going to be filled with any passion unless we spend our time getting our eyes off the news and the number counts and worrying about everything else that's going on and get our hearts centered on Christ. You again have another week of opportunity and it looks like we're going to have a few weeks ahead of us to spend time in the presence of the Lord. Jesus walked through that holy week fully in control. But that holy week is something you and I need to endear ourselves to and experience afresh and anew this week. And may we declare the hosannas and reach out to him as the savior of our own life. May he not shed tears because he knows rejection is in our hearts or in our own life. Jesus was in full control. They didn't understand what they needed, though. They thought that they needed to have an earthly king. Restored to the time of David, the golden years of Israel, and even greater was their passion. 
Jesus had something far bigger in mind. Simply put, Jesus was not interested in being a local king, nor was he interested in being a regional king. He was not even interested in the kingship of the world, for he was already king of kings and lord of lords. He is the king of the universe. He is the king of the universe, and my question to you this morning is, is he the king of your life? There's much recorded in Scripture related to this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You can take the opportunity to go to John chapter 18 and 19, and it's the back and forth events that happened during that holy week, and especially when he was before Herod, and then he was for Pilate, and Pilate was all consumed, and says, so are you a king? And Pilate, you know, he, he was just stammering, trying to get rid of this situation that the Jewish people had brought to him, where they wanted him done in and arrested. <laughs> and Jesus, he looks at Pilate and says, are you asking of your own accord or does somebody else tell you about me? And Pilate just scoffed at him. He says, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own people delivered you up to me. Are you a king? And Jesus said, you say rightly that I'm a king. For this I have come into the world and for this I have been born. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said, ah, what is truth? This whole kingship thing. Is he a king? They put it over the cross. King of the Jews. What is a king? A king is somebody who reigns. And when Jesus, one of the first words of declaration, when he started his ministry in Mark, he declared, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. What does a kingdom have to do with? It's, it's not just a pageantry type of kingdom like you would find maybe in the UK that's really powerless. A kingdom has to do with the rule and the reign of somebody. And so if we declare king of kings and lord of lords, then the question is, is he king of kings and lord of lords in your heart and in mine? He doesn't need to be a local king or a regional king or even the king of the world, for he is the king. He is the king of the universe. But he will not be the king of your heart unless you invite him in because that is a decision every one of us have to make. Kingship, allowing him to reign and lead our life, if it was forced, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't be right. Jesus is a gentleman in one sense. He never forces anybody into his kingdom. And maybe today is that day for you to bend your knee and worship and gaze on the one who rides in, who's being declared King of kings and Lord of lords, and declare him as your Savior too. So that's my challenge and my encouragement. If you've never crossed that line of faith, there's a couple other verses in 1 Timothy 6, 13 and 16 and Revelation 17, 14. Look them up. Use them as part of your devotional time this week as you seek Him out. But we need to walk through this week not in despair or discouragement for we have one who is in control. He is on a mission. I don't fully know what he's doing in this day and age. And I don't know what he's going to be doing in the weeks ahead. But he knows, and we need not fear. I want to turn to another passage before we finish up. 
This passage uh, was brought upon my heart, I believe, by the Spirit of God for those of us who have declared Jesus as our King of kings and our Lord of lords. Because there is not to be a weighted spirit of discouragement. You know, when uh, these kinds of trials come like we're experiencing, it's, it's interesting to see who really is worshiping Jesus at the end of the week, who was declaring the hosannas at the beginning. Sometimes I think we as Christian believers can be a little bit flaky. When trials and challenges come, we start to get double-minded real quick. We start to operate in our own power and strength. When persecution, troubles, hardships press in upon us, we step back. And we find ourselves lawed into disbelief even. And sometimes blatant disobedience. Don't go there, Christian friend. Stay true to Jesus Christ in these days. Don't flake out. Don't be one of those declaring hosannas on Monday. But when the hard times come on Friday, you're backing out and you're even at the back of the crowd. Maybe you're not declaring crucify him, but you're just observing passive indifference. Sort of what I refer to sometimes today is Christians uh, believe in Jesus. They believe in God, but man, they seem to act like functional atheists or agnostics, how they live their life out. And I heard different things even this week that I won't go into that just almost make me tear and cry and say, come on, let's, let's, let's stay true to our Lord and Savior and let's be the shining lights that I exhorted us to last week, an ever-present help in the time of need. If that's our God, then He's wanting to use us as His body in this day and age. So this other passage I want to turn us to comes from one who did not see Jesus with his literal eyes when he physically was walking into Jerusalem, was crucified, and was raised from the dead. But he's known as one of the foremost disciples of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ appeared to him after the fact. He was one of those Pharisees. He was one of those hardcore Jewish people that had other ideas of what a Messiah should be. His name was Saul. And he was converted by Jesus on the road to Damascus when he was going to persecute Christians. After Jesus had ascended to the heavens, Jesus came and appeared to him and blinded him for a period of time. But Saul knew who it was and cried out, Lord, Lord, what do you want? And Jesus said, why do you persecute me? Saul's life was radically transformed. He became Paul and he wrote a third of the New Testament And the Apostle Paul was always forwarding and advancing this understanding that the kingdom of God has come and the king and the reignship of Jesus needed to be at hand. All of us needed to declare to the Hosannas and declare him as the king of kings and blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Paul devoted his life after being a religious zealot in a bunch of formalness and rituals and creed. Jesus, through his spirit, came and ignited the life of Paul. And Paul became this ambassador for the gospel to the world. But as an ambassador of gospel to the world, he was under immense persecution. And one of the things he gives reference to is some of the challenges of his own life and what he called a thorn in his flesh. And so I'd like to just turn us to that particular passage that I'm referenced that came to me this week and something on the heels of that that I just want to leave you with. It says this in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, of which Paul writes, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was giving a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. 
Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. We don't know what the thorn in his flesh is. There's different things, whether it was physical, psychological, circumstantial, whatever it may be. Paul's saying here that God was at work in his life to keep him from becoming conceited. And so he allowed something to sort of torment him and bug him and be with him all the days of his life. Verse 9, he said to me, the Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power, Christ's power may rest on me. That is why Christ, for His sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties, in pandemics. Oh, it doesn't say that there, but he was experiencing it all yet. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Could I ask you a question from this this morning? related to what we're going through, related to the King of Kings being on the throne and us walking through this week? Is the Lord allowing you to be weak in present circumstances so His power may rest upon you to be made strong? Is there something about this season and time that we're in here on Passion Week Why is this all happening? Why can't it go away? Jesus, why don't you do something? Maybe Jesus is allowing it to happen so that in our weakness, we can be made strong through the strength of Jesus Christ. For his grace is sufficient to you and I in this hour and the next and the next and the next. In your weakness, you will find the Lord's grace is sufficient when You rely on His power alone to make you strong. Should I read that again? In your weakness, you will find the Lord's grace sufficient when you rely on His power alone to make you strong. Sometimes God strips all kinds of things away from us. So that we will be brought into his presence, into his dependency more. And we will embrace and we will find him as our one sore, true source of strength and power. Some of you know who Corey Ten Boom was. She was um, someone who was helping uh, rescue Jewish people from the Holocaust. And then she herself was thrown into a Nazi prison camp. She survived and came out and, and had powerful testimony, wrote several things. Many of you know who Corey Ten Boom is, but it was Corey Ten Boom who said this You may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Are you being stripped away for that work to be brought into your life today? You and I may be homebound, but we're not in a Holocaust prison camp. We may have to wear some protective things around us, but at least we have good clothes and we have food in the refrigerator. Can you comprehend being in a place like someone as Corey Ten Boom went through and others, including the Apostle Paul, where you're stripped of all 
But you say in the midst of that, in my weakness, I am made strong because of the strength of Christ. You and I may never know that Jesus is all that we need until Jesus is all that we have. I want to close with a poem, actually a hymn, from a hymn writer that was born in 1866. Her name is Annie Johnson Flint. Annie Johnson Flint, her biographer was Roland Bingham. And the biography is simply entitled, The Making of the Beautiful. She wrote many hymns, but she was orphaned at a very young age, at the age of three, when her mother was giving birth to her sister. Her mom died in that childbirth. Her dad had an incurable disease, and they were orphaned as children at a very young age, and they were taken in, taken in by this neighbor family called the Flints. That's why she goes by Annie Johnson Flint. And they raised her, Annie and her sister, in a Baptist church. It was in a Methodist revival meeting, though at the age of eight, that Andy, uh, Annie sensed the power of God's Spirit upon her life, and she made a commitment to Christ. And she always would say that, you know, uh, don't put it past what God can do in children. And kids, if you're listening today, here's a great saint of the faith that's wrote a lot of great songs And it was eight years old that she experienced the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit moving into her life. And she began to serve God. And and so she made her way through school. And she had this urge. She thought maybe she should stay at home because now her uh, uh, parents that had adopted her, foster parents, had had, they had become sort of ill too, especially her um, mother. And she went ahead, though, and she did some schooling, but uh, teaching in a school, but after a period of time, uh, of only a year or two, she started to get uh, arthritis, turned into a really bad form of uh, rheumatoid, I think arthritis, and she could not move and get around as much. Her uh, adopted parents ended up passing away shortly uh, within a span of one another, and they were orphaned again. And God began... Uh, a new and fresh work in her life as she wasn't able to get around. She had four decades of this arthritis in her where she had pain and she ended up having cancer. She was incontinent too and she had to wear diapers and she started to go blind. But she picked up a pen and she began writing her poetry and her prose and those ended up being made into hymns. And some of the beautiful hymns come from Annie Johnson Flint. One of those hymns is, He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. I know some of us grow up in different eras. Maybe you didn't grow up in an era of a lot of hymnology. But this hymn came to me, and thus working my way back to that verse that it comes from, from the Apostle Paul when he says, His grace is sufficient. And what happens in this hymn is a beautiful message for us. Knowing the life of Annie Johnson Flint and what she went through. That hymn says this. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He giveth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiply trials, 
He multiplies peace. When we have exhausted the store of our endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we've reached the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power, no boundary known unto men. For out of His infinite Riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. And I sensed that him coming back to me this week and looking at the scripture, I sought out some people maybe who were singing that hymn. I came across on the website a quartet from southern India, southwest Indian Kerala area. I've been there. It's one of the most beautiful areas I've been to, especially the coastal area in Trivantrium. I want you to listen to a quartet sing this hymn of Annie Johnson Flint. And I want you to receive from the Holy Spirit His power and strength that in your weakness you may be made strong. I emailed them. They gave me permission to use it, even to use it in live stream. It's a men's quartet, nice setting, but I want you to listen to the words and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. For some of you, you need to declare that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords in your life, and I'm going to give you that opportunity after this hymn as we pray. But for others of us, as we've journeyed with him and we've hit this wall of this pandemic and all the changes in our environment and the uncertainty going on, whether it's in our physical well-being, our, our financial well-being, our emotional well-being, our social well-being, spiritual or eternal well-being like we looked at last week. Whatever may be going on, I want you to receive the grace and the strength and the power of Jesus himself in this moment, for he is fully alive. He faced that cross. He was crucified for your sins and for mine. He was raised from the grave three days later, in which we'll rejoice and celebrate on Easter Sunday next week. But for this moment, I want you to receive from him that his power, his grace, and strength will be made strong. You and I need to have a foundation upon which we live. You and I need not to become flaky people during this time. The grace of God that sustains you will be the testimony that will carry you ultimately to the end of of your day. A quote from Ravi Zacharias. And it's a word for you and I today. What is that which sustains you? That which is a part of your testimony. Receive from him as you listen to the Livingstone Quartet from India. giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater he sendeth more strength when the labors increase to added afflictions he 
with His mercy to multiply trials, His multiplied peace. His love has no limits, His grace has no measure, His power has no boundary. Will you bow your head and pray with me? Lord Jesus, we acknowledge you this morning as the one who has come. 
to be our King of kings and our Lord of lords. And Heavenly Father, it is out of your infinite riches in Jesus that you have given and given and given again to us. And in this moment, Lord, if there is anyone who has heard this message, listened to this song, that would choose to invite you in their life, I just pray simply that that individual would pray these simple thoughts. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming into this world. Thank you for dying on a cross and being obedient to the Father's will and being raised from the dead so that you would truly be before all people who would desire the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I now invite you to come into my life to rule and to reign from this day forward. And I will seek to serve you as best I can as you enable. Lord, you have given and given and given again. Your word says that you gave your only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life and not perish. Lord, for those who have invited you, invited your son Jesus into their life right now, affirm that decision with them and encourage them and give them more grace, the grace that would abound. And Holy Spirit, I pray for all of us, especially those who have walked with you and are seeking to find fullness of you, God, in this hour, in these weeks. May we acknowledge you, King of kings and Lord of lords, but may we find your grace sufficient in our life. May your power, may your mercy, may your peace, may your grace work effectively in our lives as we receive from you. Lord, make us strong during weak times. Give us the boldness to pray for others and to serve others beginning in our home. And Lord, may we as a church family across uh, all the homes in this valley and scattered elsewhere, even in other parts of the country and even world, may we unite our hearts to join together in that good and faithful work of your grace, your mercy being extended to others. Lord, we have the hope that can change the world because we steward the life-changing message that's found in the gospel. And that gospel, the heart of it, is in these eight days of Passion Week. Lord, fill us to the full as we walk through this week. May we find not only your grace sufficient, but may we find power to worship you in the beauty of your holiness. Lord, we ask this. In your name, for your glory, bring us back together next Easter Sunday morning. May we find ourselves truly celebrating you, your death, and your resurrection, even though it's in a different context and in different kinds of means and environments during these days. And God's people said, amen and amen. Thanks for joining us. We will see you next week.